0: When you found Ephesians 5, verse 15, I want to ask you to stand as we here read together the word of the living God. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, this is the word of the Lord. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. We ask now, Lord, your blessing blessing of your spirit to be poured out upon us as we your children gather around your word bless us with understanding your truth father open our ears so that we can hear what you are saying to us revealing yourself to us showing us who you are and who you want us to be commit ourselves to you and to your grace now as we enter your word together for we pray these things in jesus name Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Wanting to get the year 2013 off to a, a good start, a right start, a, a fruitful start, we've been looking uh, for the past several weeks at, at these verses in yeah. Ephesians chapter 5. And it was overwhelming to us to hear the voice of the Lord speak to us from these verses and say to us, Be imitators of God be imitators of God. But we want to do what God calls us to do, and so we seek to imitate him in the world. Specifically, we've been considering how it is that you and I as believers in Christ can really bear a sharp, clear image of the Savior who indwells us to the world around us. How is it that you and I are to stand out clear and distinct, to shine bright for Christ in a world that is too often dark? And so toward that end, we've seen several things from this passage. First is the call in our lives to to be careful how we live our lives, specifically to watch how we walk, to make wise decisions about everything we do. We can't always control where it is we go, but we're always in control of how we are when we're there and who we are when we're there. And so all of us can make wise choices wherever we are in order to live our lives for Christ. We've heard the call uh, to understand what the will of God is. And so we come to the word of God, not primarily as a book of rules and regulations, but we come to the word of God as a revelation of who, who God is, who Jesus is. And if you and I are called to be imitators of Christ, to be imitators of God, we can only do that if we know him and who he is. And when we know who he is, then we know who we are to be. And then what we are to do is so much easier for us to determine in our lives. Last week we heard uh, the command to make the most of every opportunity. You and I have to see time in our hand like money in our hand. We only have a limited amount of it and we've got to make really careful choices about how we spend the time to make the most of every opportunity that God has given us to, to speak the gospel to do acts of love and and compassion in accordance with the gospel, to understand what the will of God is and not assume that those opportunities will come again because they may not. And then finally last week we looked at this command, to be filled with the Spirit of God. Briefly, and I want to return to that command uh, this morning. If you look in verse 18, Paul writes there, he, he contrasts being full of wine or drunk with being full of the Spirit. And Paul's point here is that something is going to stimulate you in your life. Something is going to control you and me. And the question is, what will it be? What do we want it to be? What do you want it to be? Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 writes this, For Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. We need to know that. Satan Our enemy can change his appearance so that he looks like something other than he really, truly is. Really, truly, he is a demon of darkness and he is repulsive. Yet he can appear to be an angel of light, appealing, attractive. And he attempts to fool us into believing that he can offer us something that he cannot offer to us. He says he can offer life. He can't. He says he can offer joy and hope and real fun. But the reality is he can only offer death and despair and destruction. That's what he has to offer us this morning. But he masquerades and he disguises and he deceives so that we choose him, the one who seeks to destroy us. Who would willingly choose that? We only make that choice. I only make it in my life. You only make it in your life when we are deceived. Because we can't see how hideous Satan really is. Because we can't see or won't really believe how destructive sin is in our lives. We make that choice because we have no conception of what true eternal death is. We have no idea what it's like to exist apart from the presence of God because God is here present with us on this earth. True eternal death is the absence of God. We have no conception of what that is. And so we are tempted. And we are attracted by what looks good and feels good. And so Paul uses here in this passage, he uses wine as an illustration of that. And, and drunkenness. You know, what looks good. Tastes good. While you're drinking it. On the way to drunkenness, it sure feels good. Drinking is exciting. You have a good old time with your friends. You lose your inhibitions. You forget your troubles. You escape reality. Have a good laugh. But it only lasts for a little while, doesn't it? Because then the next morning comes, right? And how do you feel then? Sick. Miserable. Awful. And yet you got to get up and function as if you're not. Continued drinking can destroy your health, destroys relationships. Who wants to hang out with the drunk? Destroys your finances. How many employers keep around somebody who is controlled by by alcohol? And yet, our world says it's so much fun. Yay! And so many of us fall for that lie. I I don't even want to know the percentage of of students from the College of Charleston. Maybe not so many because they're out of town for the the weekend. We're we're drunk last night because, hey, they thought it would be fun. Young professionals, not so much fun, but just a little freedom. Freedom from the the anxiety of their jobs. How many older people drank, got drunk, not just to have fun, not to just be free, but to forget. Forget a lot of life that's already passed them by. We know what it does, and yet given the choice, filled with alcohol or filled with the Spirit, we think it's a (laughs) no-brainer. Of course, be filled with alcohol. (laughs) It's so much more fun, because on some level, we too are deceived to believe that the things of God are boring. You know, perhaps an angel floating around on the cloud, playing the harp. Maybe that for too long has, has been the representation of heaven and, and spiritual things. And so we think, well, that isn't for us, because, because we're a generation that craves the extreme. I mean, even regular sports have lost their luster a little bit and their ability to excite us, and so now we have to have extreme sports. We have extreme television. Unfortunately, I've watched some of it with my kids, you know, when when they were at home. You know, reality TV shows where you have to eat gross things. I, I would call it food, but it's not food. You have to do... Disgusting, eat disgusting things and do these bizarre acts. And whoever can be the most extreme, eat the most extreme thing or do the most bizarre thing, they win the money in the end. And we all say, yay. You know, we, we, we crave excitement. We cannot tolerate monotony or boredom. We love the sensational and we are addicted to stimu- to stimulation. Something has got to excite our senses. And it isn't just in the world out there. It's in our, our worship as well, in our churches. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to a guy who was on staff at a satellite campus for a megachurch. And he said to me that his team starts setting up for Sunday morning at 4 o'clock a.m. Choir. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. 4 o'clock a.m. You know, because the the -the state-of-the-art sound and all the light show that will be part of their worship, you know, it's got to be put in place. And I could tell that this guy was a little bit weary. I mean, who wouldn't be? Four o'clock in the morning. And I said, can't you simplify? He responded, we can't. He said, our church is kind of like a franchise, sort of like McDonald's. And you wouldn't drive up to a McDonald's and order a Big Mac only to be told, oh, I'm sorry, we don't sell Big Macs at this location. And so he said, the show has to go on. At all the branches of this particular church, he says, what people expect, what people need, what people demand, if they're going to stick around, we've got to have the show. I talked to another guy Wednesday of this week. He said his niece and nephew are not allowed to go to the adult worship at their church. And I said, why not? He said, there's too much profanity in that particular service coming from the pulpit from someone that we now refer to as shock jock preachers. And they often use abundant profanity and graphic illustrations to really get the attention of the audience. <laughs> Come and hear our preacher. You won't believe what he says from the pulpit. And I'm not saying that to to criticize these people. Many of them feel led of the Lord to do what they're doing, that, that they believe that's the best way to, to meet uh, uh, to, to reach people. Uh, the point is, why? Why they feel they have to do these things to reach this generation? And I'm included in that. It's so, so overstimulated that we're desensitized by all the special effects. And there always has to be something more, something more, something more exciting. You know, the question becomes, where does it end? Where do you draw the line? What is it going to finally require to get our hearts pounding and our passions ignited? And so we wrongly believe that with the Spirit, just the Spirit of God and the Word of God, there's no excitement, or at least there is insufficient excitement. But listen, to be filled with the Spirit of God is to be filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Filled with the Spirit of the One whose mind devised, thought up, planned all of creation and executed it. Carried out the creation of the world and the universe ex nihilo, out of nothing. He didn't use anything else. His creation isn't a cheap knockoff of something that was already patented. It's not a variation on something someone else created. God didn't look around and say, oh, that, 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 that reminds me. That triggers a thought. I think I'll create the world this way. That's not it at all. It was his idea Planned and executed by him, out of nothing, in his spirit, the spirit of God, indwells us. Take any part of creation you want. That which is most majestic to our unaided eye. Uh, the majestic mountains, the vastness of the ocean, roaring waterfalls, the sun, the moon, the stars, whatever. Created by God. Take the, the majesty of, of the minute, what we can't even see with the unaided eye. The atoms and all its intricacies, all of this vast variety, all the beauty of what we see comes from God. This is what his mind can conceive. This is what his spirit and what his power can bring into being that spirit indwells us. Boring? You think? Who else or what else can do that? What other ideas does his mind have for us? What purposes does he have for you, for me? What inspiration might he bring to us to carry out part of of his plan? Our problem isn't so much that we don't know the answer to that question. Our problem is that we don't seek to know the answer to that question, or we're not asking that question at all, because we think that the exciting, the extreme, the stimulating don't belong to God. And what a deception, a master deception Satan has pulled off if he has us convinced of that. And he know, you know, and I know, and here's how we can tell. If we've fallen for the lie ourselves, if you look at your life, if I look at my life and see that our stimulation, our excitement, what really gets us going and ignites our passion is coming from things that aren't spiritual, then we've fallen for the lie. Or worse, and too often, it's coming from things or activities or or substances that are contrary to what God has in mind for His people. Don't be deceived. Seek to be filled with, controlled by, the Spirit of our great God and pray. Pray that the Spirit of God will fill you. Jesus said in Luke 11, If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Nothing, nothing. And I'm not trying to talk like a preacher here. I believe that nothing the world can offer can be as exciting and as stimulating as a life lived filled with the Spirit of God. Nothing the world offers can match the thrill of those who are seeking to be filled with the Spirit, who are willing to obey whatever the Spirit of God calls them to do as He advances His kingdom throughout the world. Talk about thrilling. You don't know what that might be. But the world can't match it. Don't let the world define what's exciting for you. And don't be distracted by the lesser thrills of the world. They promise a lot, but they deliver so little. Be filled with the Spirit. Let's move on. Continue looking at what will make us bear that sharp image for Christ in the world. Watching how we live. Understanding what the will of God is. Making the most of every opportunity. Being filled with the Spirit. Four things we can do. And now there's a fifth in verse 19. Look there for number five. It says there, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. As we come to these verses, I want to say first that we can't make the mistake of believing that Paul here is referring only to worship. He certainly is referring to our worship. And we worship, we should sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But here, Paul is referring not just specifically or exclusively to worship. Paul is talking about a pattern of life that believers display. A habit that should exist among us in our lives, inside the church and outside the church. And that is the habit of and the pattern of praise. It should permeate our gatherings as we sing and as we speak of the truth of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the life of the Spirit through psalms, referring here primarily to to the Old Testament psalms. Hymns, which in the New Testament were songs of praise directed to God and to Christ about Him. Spiritual songs that have themes other than than praise but talk about the life of the Spirit. These three, none of them are mutually exclusive. And, And Paul's point here, and certainly not my point, is to dissect the differences between the three of these to add fuel to the worship fire. Well, our church sings psalms only. Well, we sing hymns in my church, and we're not singing anything that was written after 1750. I've been told that before. My church is contemporary. Jesus, you are so good. You know, know, it's not the point. His encouragement here is for us to sing. His encouragement for us is to praise in all the settings of our lives. And guess what? Those songs should be audible. Someone can't do it for you. It's been said you can't praise by proxy. You, know, you go ahead and sing this one for me. You do the call or you do the response reading I don't want to do it. No. It's got to come from you. And yet it, some people don't want to do it because they don't they don't feel it. Or there's some people who very honestly want to believe. They want to believe the truths that are read. They want to believe the songs that are sung, but but they struggle with belief. Well, here's my encouragement. Engage in the words anyway. Read them. Sing them. Speak them out loud. And the feelings may follow. The conviction may follow. In Romans chapter 4, Paul writes there about Abraham. And he writes that Abraham, in hope, believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, promised by God, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but, listen to this, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Abraham drew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. What Abraham was experiencing in his life demanded him to not believe God. God promised, but God hadn't fulfilled. His hundred-year-old, good-as-dead body demanded that he not believe. (laughs) Too late for anything much to happen here. hundred years old? But Abraham praised God anyway. And as he praised, he grew strong in his faith. So praising God can make you grow stronger in your faith. So do it. Praise. And when you do it, you've got to engage. Look in verse 19. that's what it says there. Make music in your heart. Singing isn't just a filler in the worship service. Well, we need to be here about an hour. Sermon's about 20, 30 minutes. Let's just sing for half an hour. It's not the purpose of singing. It isn't a warm-up for the sermon. It's not to be done on autopilot because you've sung that song so many times and you know every single word. You can sing it without even thinking about it. To do the kind of singing Paul talks about here, your heart has to be engaged. Your heart needs to be in a state of worship because our worship is based on our conviction. Because we believe by faith, That's what we have believed about God, about Jesus, it really is true. And so worship for us is being absolutely overwhelmed by the truth of who Christ is and what he has done for us. And that leads to both action in our life and emotion in our worship. Because all of our being is impacted, our minds are impacted and reoriented by the truth of God's word our will to act and to do in accordance with that truth. Our emotions, they must find expression as they're overwhelmed by the truth. We've got to love back. We've got to to worship. We've got to adore the one who has done so much for us. Singing is a way to let that out, to tell somebody about it. Only King Midas, only his barber knew that the king had donkey ears. And, the barber thought he would die if he wasn't able to tell somebody, but he knew he would die if he did tell anybody. Hey, the king has donkey ears. And so he went and he whispered his secret to a hole in the ground. And then he covered up the hole because he just had to tell somebody. Someone gets engaged, we are bursting to tell. Someone is expecting a baby, we are bursting to tell. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, we are bursting to tell, to worship, to praise, to sing. Our love and our gratitude has got to find expression in our words and in our songs. And if your heart's engaged, it's difficult to sing before the throne of God above. I have a sure and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. How can I not be moved? When you sing that, when Satan tempts me to despair, And tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. How can you speak those words or sing those words and not be moved? I think we'll find our song. We'll find our voice to sing when we understand that everything that we have, everything we are, the very lives and our bodies, right at this moment, are a gift given to us by God, our Father. We'll find our voice when we realize that we are not worthy of those blessings from the Lord. They're all of God's grace. We'll find our voice when we understand that those blessings are without limit, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, beyond our ability to measure. We'll find our voice when we realize that they are unchanging because they are based on who Christ is and what he has done. And what Christ has won for us. At those times in our lives, when we give up on him, he doesn't give up on us ever. And that alone is reason to burst into song. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. See, because you're filled with the Spirit, that's the inpouring. You speak, you sing in spiritual songs, pouring out what the Spirit has poured in. In this attitude, not only in worship, but as we speak to one another, encourage one another with with the psalms, with hymns, with spiritual songs, we will feed off of one another's praise and we'll grow fat with praise. Or we'll compensate for one another. The strong in praise will carry along those who are weak. And when we live like this, when we worship like this, when we speak to us, each other like this. The world will notice. And so the image of Christ in us will shine out because no matter what happens, no matter what happens to us, no matter what happens around us, we as believers in Christ keep praising because we have received and continue to receive mercy upon mercy upon mercy. So, filled with the Spirit, sing, Oh, my soul, the world will hear our song. And if God is pleased to use our song, they may be saved. Let's pray. Father, we truly are overwhelmed when we read in your word here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, that we are to be imitators of God imitators of Christ in the world. We're overwhelmed by that goal, that call that you have placed on our lives. We thank you, Lord. You never ask us to do anything that you don't give us the ability to do. You don't ask us to do anything that we're not equipped to do. And we are equipped with your spirit that you promise to give to us, that you pour out on us abundantly. He is able. And through us, he can do what you have called us to do and be who you've called us to be. And so I pray, Lord, again this week, that we would really long to bear a sharp image of Christ. You live in us, the power of your Spirit, that we would want to reveal your image, to show your image, to bear it in the world around us because this generation, like every generation, Needs to see you, Jesus. They need to know you. They need to love you. And so we pray, Lord, that through our song, as we sing our praise, the world may hear and they may believe. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.